How y'all doing? What's up, everybody? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here with you guys tonight. That worship was so sweet. I always have a hard time shifting out of sweet, sweet, sweet worship like that. That was awesome. Um, but I am excited to be here tonight. For those of you who don't know me, my name is April Farmer. I get the opportunity to uh, work at our Buckhead Church location. Um, and so I'm really glad about that. I also am a part of the TLR team down at Buckhead Church. I'm actually a small group leader, so I uh, get to be in this environment at another campus, which is super exciting. So I'm really excited to be here with each and every one of you. I am a wife. I am a mother. I am a grandmother. Um, I have four grandbabies, and I just heard that one more is on the way, so I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm rooting for a boy, y'all. I need y'all to give me boy energy because I need a boy. I need a, I need a, I need a boy. Um, so we're trying to balance this thing out. But um, I'm just excited about what God's doing and this opportunity that I get to step into this series that you guys started on last week. Um, you started this series called The Big Reputation. And isn't this graphic dope, y'all? Is this, is this just not a dope graphic? Every time I look at it, I'm like, that is really nice. I don't know who did it, but it's really nice. I need this like hanging on my wall. Anyway, um, but it's called Big Reputation. And we started to talk about and have this conversation about the fact that reputation matters. Um, you guys just start, started singing about Jesus. Uh, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, you silence fear. Your name is a, is a light that the shadows can't deny. Your name cannot be overcome. We talked about what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Jesus has a reputation, and so reputation matters, and it matters because it either wins people's influence, it wins the ability to be an influence and to gain the trust of other people, or it is an obstacle to the trust and the influence in the other people's lives. And like we said, Jesus had a reputation. And as Jesus' followers, we bear a reputation too. And it's a heavier weight on us for those of us that follow Jesus because it's up to us to represent not only ourselves, but to represent Jesus well. And our reputation has a great impact on how other people see the Jesus that we follow. And not only us, not just Jesus, but it also impacts the church. It impacts how people see the body of Christ at large. So that reputation matters. And, and we can't take that lightly. And reputation is the thing that we're known for. That is what a reputation is. It's what we are known for. For me in high school, I didn't think I had a reputation. I didn't think anybody knew me at all. And then one day... Um, I was home and I got a phone call and they were like, hey, congratulations. I was just calling to congratulate you. I was like, why? It was like, hey, you won most talented as a senior superlative. I was like, me? I, I won most talented? I didn't know anybody knew my name. I didn't know anybody knew who I was, but apparently I had a reputation for being somebody who was talented at school. So I was like, dope. I love that. That's pretty cool. I might have thought I was talented, but I didn't know other people thought I was talented. And so reputations are things that people have. You got folks like Will Smith. He has a reputation. Y'all laughing. Why, why y'all laughing? Reputation. Will Smith's reputation for me growing up was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I like to take a minute, just sit right here. I'll tell you how I became the Prince of a Town about Bel-Air. That's what I used to watch all the time. My kids watched it. Everybody watched the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But now, 
Will Smith's reputation is kind of taking a hit. What is he known for right now? The man who got slapped by Chris Rock. That's what he's known for right now. He's made great movies, and everybody likes his movies, but this one incident has totally shifted his reputation. Or what about this, the, the lady y'all were just singing, Taylor Swift? She's got a whole album called Reputation, doesn't she? Y'all know every song too, don't you? I heard you singing all of them. And then I hear there's this word on the street that she's supposed to be dating some ball player now. Who's that guy? Like, what's his name? There's reputations floating all around. Y'all know what's going on. What about Kanye West? <laughs> Y'all are tripping. Oh my goodness. Is he following Jesus? Is he not following Jesus? We just don't know, but he's got a reputation. I'm praying for my brother. Like, I'm just like, what you gonna do today? Like, I just, I can't keep up what's, what's going on with him. And then what's really cool is this new guy that's come on the scene. Like, I'm not, I, I, I watch, I probably scroll social media a, a couple of minutes a day just because I, I just get bored sometimes. But I ran across um, uh, IG, no, I was on YouTube, and I ran across a reel or a short, and it was this guy, this grungy looking dude with some red hair, looked like he just rolled out of bed. He had a guitar, and he was standing outside with some dogs on the ground around him, and he was singing this song, I mean, killing it too. He was just singing like he was mad. What's his name? Um, Oliver Anthony, I think is his name. Y'all ever heard of Oliver Anthony? Right, y'all need to look bruh up because he is building a reputation. People are talking about this dude because he's singing songs and talking about stuff that nobody else wants to talk about. He is hollering at people and he's just calling them all kinds of things that I can't say because we're in church right now, but he's singing about it. And I also heard that they invited him to sing the national anthem along with somebody else at this year's um, or at next year's Super Bowl. And the bare minimum fee for a person to sing the national anthem is $100,000. That's the base. That would have been an easy yes for me. Easy. I'm going to be honest. He turned it down. He was like, why would I pay? Why would I let y'all pay me to sing the national anthem for my country? Like, he is making statements. He is building a reputation. So if you hadn't heard about him, I'm pretty sure you're going to hear about this dude. So I got my, I, my, my question for you is, what is your reputation? What are people saying about you? What is the word on the street about you? Anybody want to share? Okay. You said I'm good, thanks. Yeah, we all have a reputation. Jesus had a reputation. What do you think it is? Jesus has a reputation. What do you think it is? The life of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels, which are the first, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament, we see that Jesus had a reputation. He had a great reputation with those who were outcast. He had a great reputation with them, but with the religious folks, his reputation wasn't so good. In fact, he had a really bad reputation. And that was kind of weird because Jesus, as we all know, was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was one who was highly esteemed in that society. 
Rabbis had high standards. They had high standards for rabbis. And there was an expectation of perfection and doing all the right things as a rabbi. There were high standards and high expectations. But his own people actually, for the most part, hated him. They hated him so much that they actually ended up being the people who killed him. They killed him. And you ask yourself, like, well, why did they hate Jesus so much? Why did they hate him? And Jesus himself told us what they had to say about him. Jesus told us what the word on the street was. He heard from the religious people there were these things that they would say about Jesus. And in Luke chapter 7, he says this. He says that this is what they're saying about me. They're saying that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is the word on the street about Jesus back in the day. Jesus was known as a friend to tax collectors and sinners. He was a friend to the socially outcast. He was a friend to those who were marginalized. He was a friend to those who were far away from God. And I, I, I got to highlight something for a second. Tax collectors were hated. And we're going to get into that a little later. But this isn't just some random phrase, of a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This was actually them blasting Jesus. They were talking about him. They were putting him down. This was no compliment. The religious people hated Jesus because he hung out with people that nobody else wanted to hang out with. And so this statement, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, was a demonstration of their hate for those types of people. In other words, it was like they're saying, wait a minute, he hangs out with those people? He hangs out with them? How could he? He's supposed to be a rabbi. But in actuality, that statement actually pointed to Jesus's very mission. It pointed to who he was after and who he was going for. He had a mission for the marginalized. He had a mission for those who were on the fringes. And so in that day and time, the religious people had a system. Religion was a system of separating the haves and the haves not, have-nots. It was a system of separating who was included and who was not. It was a system of drawing a line in the sand saying, you don't get to be here. You don't belong here. That's what religion was. You're not welcome here. You don't look like us. You don't act like us. You don't dress like us. You don't talk like us. So you are out. That's how Jesus combated that culture. He had a different mission. Because you don't meet our standards, they said, no, you can't fit into this space. But Jesus had other things in mind. Religion said one thing, but Jesus had another mission. And so we're going to take a look at what that mission was. Because of the fact that the religious people set other people out, Jesus had a point to make. He wanted to show that he wasn't like the other religious people. He had a mission, and he, his mission was priority. And so tonight, we're going to take a look at a story. And as we look at this story, it, it is a beautiful reflection of the fact that Jesus' mission was to prove 
that the religious system of that day and that age was not what he was about. And so I want to take a look at this interaction that's happening. Jesus uh, had a reputation. The word on the street was that Jesus was going around healing people. The word on the street was that Jesus was going around raising people from the dead. Jesus was breaking all kinds of laws. He was healing people on the Sabbath, doing all these things. And the religious people hated him, but the people on the fringes were like, yo, who is this dude? And so everywhere Jesus went, there were crowds. Everywhere Jesus went, people wanted to see where he was. And so Jesus interacts with this outsider in this story that we're about to look at. And it's because of stories like the one we're going to look at that Jesus starts to shift things and he earned this reputation of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In fact, by the time we get to the place in the story that we're going to look at, Jesus had already been inviting people into his inner circle, one of which was a tax collector. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. In verse 1, it starts like this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, mind you, Luke makes sure it's very clear that we know that he was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just any tax collector. He was the head of the tax collectors. He was in a category all his own. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. Let me make this clear. They did not like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't have a lot of friends. Jesus' reputation, though, was that he was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And what you have to know is that tax collectors back in this day, they weren't aligned with the Jewish people. They were Jews, but the Jews hated them because for whatever reason, they chose to take a job where they charged taxes to their own people. They overtaxed their people, and this is what they would do. They would overtax them, and then the difference between what they were supposed to take and what they did take, they pocketed it. That's why they were wealthy. So can you see why maybe their people just did not like them? Yo, you taking money from me? You the, you the tax man. You the repo man. You coming to get my stuff. And not only are you giving it to the Romans, you keeping some from yourself, and you're building your own wealth with this. And so this is the story that we're seeing. And it goes on in verse 3, and it says this. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. This is Zacchaeus. But because he was a short dude, he was a little on the short side, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So put yourself in this story. You are shorty doo-wop. Ain't nothing wrong with being short. It's okay. You're a short person. And you hear that this man is coming to your town. And nobody likes you. Nobody wants to see you. Nobody nobody hangs out with you. Nobody invites you to their house for dinner. They hate you, actually. You don't get included in anything that the rest of your people are included in. So you're used to being ostracized. You're used to being uninvited. You're used to being unwelcome. But you hear that this man is coming. And the word on the street is that he has a reputation of being a friend to tax collectors and sinners. And so when Zacchaeus hears he's coming, he tries to get to him, but he realizes he can't see Jesus. And so he does whatever he has to do. He makes his way. He runs and he sees this sycamore tree and he climbs the tree and he gets to the top of this tree. And he, at this point, does not care about what people think about him. His 
hearing about Jesus was so strong. There was something about what he heard about the reputation of Jesus that made him get to the point where I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care about the shame I carry for being ostracized in my community. I want to see this man. So he does whatever it takes and he climbs this tree and he gets up there. And in the next verse, it says this. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And I remember when I read this, I remembered a, a, a time in my life. I think if you were here last time, I might have shared a bit of my story. But I, I told you guys that I have, I have children and some grandchildren, but I'm, I'm not super old. I mean, not really. My sons are 20. Oh, my son just turned 29, and the other one is 27. So I had my oldest son when I was 17 years old and my youngest one when I was 19 as a freshman in college. So I was a senior in high school and a freshman in college and I had my kids. But I remember when I, had, when I found out I was pregnant with my first son and I'm a church girl. I'm the daughter of the pastor actually, of the associate pastor of the church. So you guys can imagine possibly what it was like for me when people started to hear that I was pregnant. What, her? Really? She knows better than that. Really, April, seriously? And I remember, I used to have this group of friends that I would sing with all the time. We were like this little clique, and anytime there was something going on, they would ask us to sing at youth ministry and all this other kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, when the word got on the street that April was pregnant, my phone stopped ringing. All of a sudden, my friends didn't want to hang out with me anymore. All of a sudden, they couldn't come stay at my house if I invited them. For some reason, they always had something else to do. But there was this one girl who would reach out to me, and she immediately became my friend. And I just remember what it felt like. I remember what it felt like to be desperate to be seen. I remember what it felt like to be rejected, to have your own people, the people that go to your church, and they were supposed to be your friends and love you and support you, and all of a sudden, they don't want to be around you. But I remember... When that one young lady, her name is Melissa, I remember when she reached out to me while I was pregnant, I was sick and throwing up and I was terrible, my body was changing, and I'm so young, I don't know what's going on. And she came and she spent the night at my house and she hung out with me and she took me to the mall and she rubbed my back when I was throwing up in the toilet. She was there for me when nobody else was and I appreciated her. And when I read this part of the story, I felt like, man, when she called me, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I would love some company. Zacchaeus, when Jesus said to him, I must stay at your house today, I can imagine what Zacchaeus felt like. Wait a minute, you want to stay at my house? You want to hang out at my place? Really? And it says he welcomed him gladly. That means he welcomed him with rejoicing. Jesus saw him. And I love this first line. It says, when Jesus reached the spot. When Jesus, it's almost as if Jesus knew Zacchaeus was going to be there. It didn't say when Jesus looked up and saw him, he stopped. It said when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was. Jesus already knew where Zacchaeus was going to be. 
Jesus already knew who Zacchaeus was. And he stopped and he looked up and said to him, I'm coming to your house today. Come on down. I'm going to your house. And everybody was shocked. Wait a minute, what? He's going to the house to be the guest at a sinner's house? And what you have to understand is that in that culture, for you to invite somebody to your home, that was like inviting them into relationship with you. For you to invite somebody to your home meant you were welcome and we were friends. We could hang out. We could be buddies. And they were shocked that this rabbi had been invited and invited himself actually to the house of a sinner. And not only did he see Zacchaeus, he invited himself into his home, into his safe space, into the only place where he felt like he could be. Jesus invited himself into that space. And the principle here is huge. The principle that we see at play here is that the same, the, the share, to share a meal is to share a life. For you to invite yourself to my home meant you wanted to be a part of my life. You are welcoming me in. This was huge for Zacchaeus. Jesus was bucking the system. He was tearing down the walls of all this religious system. He was breaking it all down. He knew what Zacchaeus' reputation was, but that didn't matter to him. He was on a mission, and he went right to where he was. And this blew Zacchaeus' mind. And it says he welcomed him in gladly. And he can't believe that Jesus wants to be at his house. And then I love what happens next. In the next verse, it says, but Zacchaeus stood up, And said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, that means also, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Don't miss this. He says, today, salvation has come to this house, Zacchaeus' home. When did he say this? Come on, y'all can talk to me. At what point in the story, following along in the story, when did Jesus say, today, salvation has come to this house? What happened first? Come on. What'd you say? He went to his house, and then what happened? And then what happened? Say it again. He surrendered. Zacchaeus sat there, and he said, you know what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we go any further, I am so blown away by the fact that you saw me. And not only did you see me, you invited yourself into my space, into my home, into my secret place, into this place where nobody else wants to be. And because the love of Jesus was so intentional and so great towards Zacchaeus, his natural response was to say, whoa, okay, all right. In light of that, I'm going to get this together. I want to follow you. Your love has transformed my life so immediately that I am going to give back four times what I've stolen from anybody, and I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. How radical is that? 
And see, I don't want us to miss this. This is what happens when we encounter the love of Jesus. Not only just when we encounter it, but when we realize how impactful it is to us. Zacchaeus' response to the love of God was amazing. It was repentance and salvation happened then. And this culture had drawn lines to say, no, you don't qualify for salvation. You don't qualify to be a part of the kingdom of God. You don't qualify to come to this church. You don't qualify to come to TLR. You don't qualify to be in my space and be my friend. That's what religion does. It draws these lines and it separates. But Jesus said not so. Jesus wanted to make it abundantly clear that his invitation to belong was for everybody. No one was excluded. No one. Because if exclusion, if Jesus was about excluding people, I wouldn't be here. If Jesus was about excluding people because their life wasn't together, I wouldn't be standing here. You wouldn't be sitting there. If Jesus was about separating the the haves and the have-nots, none of us would be here. Zacchaeus accepted this invitation. And Jesus declared that Zacchaeus was now a part of the family of God, which was huge. Jesus saw him. Jesus was kind to him. Jesus sought him out. He knew the spot where Zacchaeus would be, and he went right to it, right where he was. And his mission is to seek and to save the lost. And I love this word, too. He said, because this man also is a son of Abraham. He was really talking to the crowd. He was talking to the religious people in that day saying, hey, I know you all think you're the only ones who qualify to be a part of the kingdom of God, but this man too, this tax collector, this sinner, he belongs as well. You don't get to draw the lines. I am the creator of the universe. I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And today, salvation, me, Jesus Christ, salvation has come to this house. And don't lose sight of this. Before Zacchaeus did anything, Jesus pursued him. He didn't have to clean his life up first. He didn't have to make all the right decisions first. Jesus was right there. And a lot of times we as religious people, as church people, maybe not you, maybe me, maybe maybe it is you and maybe not me, but we have this habit of telling people they got to clean their life up first before they can come to Jesus. And that is why the reputation of the church has been thwarted. It's been tainted because we have gotten out of sync with what Jesus came to do, which was to seek and save the lost. And understand this, the religious people didn't think they were lost too. They were sinners too. And as we read through the scriptures, we see so many stories where God, where Jesus is trying to reveal, hey, we all are sinners. Jesus, the friend of sinners, And tax collectors told Zacchaeus, you can belong with me even before you do anything, even before you believe in me. Jesus wasn't interested in religion that draws lines in the sand to separate people. Jesus came to offer relationship that made a way for everyone 
to experience the life that he came to give. That's why he came. And as followers of Jesus, the church, the body of Christ, all of us, this is the invitation we have as well. And this is the mission that we must join in with. And regardless of what they believe or don't believe, regardless of where they sit on this side or the other, regardless of decisions that they made, regardless of their past, regardless of the mistakes that they've made, none of that matters. This is a place, the church, the body of Christ, TLR, Woodstock City Church, this is the place where you belong. It doesn't matter. My friend's friendship with me gave me a place to belong in one of the most difficult seasons of my life. And our prayer is that this church, is that we as believers, for those of us who follow Jesus, we realize that we belong no matter what. This is where you belong. Hey, guess what? Jesus sees you. Just like he saw Zacchaeus, he knows the spot you're in. And he is coming right to where you are. He sees all of us. None of us are excluded. His eyes are big. He sees everything too. He sees those secret things that we try to hide from him. He sees the good. He sees the bad. He sees the ugly. He sees the past. He sees the present. And he also sees the future. And he is inviting himself. He is calling all of us by name. April, I want to come to your house today. And the cool part about you being here is that you're Zacchaeus right now. You climbed the tree. No matter where you sit, no matter what your life looks like right now, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're in this room right now means you climbed the tree. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I want to be in a position to see this man named Jesus. I've heard about this place where everyone is welcome. I've heard about this place where I can go and hear about Jesus. I've heard about this place and I know my life isn't all together and I don't look like the person who's sitting next to me and I don't have the same story as the person who's sitting next to me, but I am willing to climb this tree and I'm here today to tell you, Jesus is already in this spot. He sees you. He knows you by name and he is inviting himself into your house today. And the strange part about this story <laughs> is that at the end, Zacchaeus was free. Zacchaeus was free. The religious folks, on the other hand, they were the lost ones. They were the ones still walking around mad. They were the ones frustrated and confused, and Zacchaeus was floating on cloud nine because it didn't matter Jesus came to seek and to save all of the lost. And they failed to see what many religious people fail to see, is that we're lost too. The Bible says all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. But there is no person that is disqualified from having a relationship with Jesus. And we as followers of Jesus cannot participate in that separating line. He is inviting us to be a part of his mission, to part of his call, to seek and to save the lost. So 
as I kind of wrap up tonight, I was praying about how I wanted to do this and what God wanted to do. And I have been a part of the body of Christ for a long time. I gave my life to Jesus uh, when I was nine, long before I ever got pregnant. And I struggled with that sin. That was a thing for me. I don't know what your story is, but for me, that's what my thing was. I needed, uh, I felt like I had to have affection. I've always been that way. I've always been a very affectionate person. And when I felt like that was missing, there were things going on in my life and my boyfriend was the one who gave it to me. So he got things from me he didn't need to get. And it made me make decisions. It didn't make me. It led me to decisions that I made that changed my life drastically. And I remember when I went to church and I was pretty good and pregnant and there was this guy who had known me since I was a kid. And he was actually one of the elders that baptized me with my dad when I was younger. And I remember when he found out I was pregnant, he chastised me so bad. He looked at me and he scolded me so bad. And I was so heartbroken. April, you know better. April, what about your dad? You're the pastor's daughter. You should be living a better life than this. You're supposed to be setting an example. And I felt so much shame. And I was so broken. And I didn't want nothing to do with that church anymore. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to see those people. I didn't want to be around. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't feel like God loved me anymore. I don't qualify. I stopped singing. I stopped doing a lot of things. But slowly but surely, I was really grateful for the fact that my dad wasn't like that. My mom wasn't like that. They loved me unconditionally. But it took me a long time to realize that God didn't hate me because I made mistakes. And I struggled with that for years. I mean, years. I mean, I'm in church and I'm struggling. And the church sometimes can make you feel like you're not allowed to struggle. The church can sometimes make you feel like you're supposed to have it all together. What's wrong with you? Come on, get it together. You said you follow Jesus. Yeah, I do. But I mess up sometimes. What about you? I think about this story in the Bible. Maybe y'all remember this where the woman was caught in adultery. And the Pharisees, they brought her to Jesus and they say, hey, the law says she's supposed to be stoned. Now, don't, don't let me get into where the dude was. We ain't going to talk about that. They brought the girl to Jesus and said, stone her. The law says she's supposed to be stoned. What are you going to do? Jesus knew what the law said. Jesus knew what sin was. She knew too. She sat there on that ground, and Jesus didn't say a word. He didn't have to. He started writing on the ground, and finally they were like, come on, you're supposed to be a rabbi? You're supposed to be setting a standard? What are you going to do? And Jesus kept writing in the ground, and all of a sudden, all he did, he said, well, you know what? He who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And guess what happened? Slowly but surely, everybody walked away. 
Why? Because they all had sin. Everybody does. God does not expect perfection from us as believers. All he wants us to do is to trust him to help us get through it. One day at a time, moment by moment, and be like Zacchaeus. God, you still want to come to my house? Yeah, all right, I'm going to sell half of what I own, and I'm going to give back. I'm going to make the next right decision. It didn't guarantee the next day, but today I'm going to make the next right decision. And this is what God is inviting us to. And when we try to put standards on people and tell them that they got to get their life together before they come to Jesus, we damage his reputation and we damage our own. And Jesus is not like that. And so for us as believers, we have to make sure that we don't put those lines in the sand like the Pharisees, but that we step into the mission of Christ to love those who feel like they don't belong and to invite them in to our world and to our lives and to our space and invite ourselves into their lives and let them know that they are loved, that they are seen and that they are valued and God wants a relationship with them. And maybe you're in the room tonight and you're not a believer. Maybe you're not a believer because somebody told you you had to get your stuff together first. Maybe you're carrying around shame. I don't fit I'm not good enough. I'm here to tell you that God knows your spot and he's there and he's looking up to you and he's saying, hey, I wanna come to your house. Don't believe the rest of these people. Don't believe all of that. I wanna be in a relationship with you. And so if that has ever happened to you, if somebody at church has ever made you feel like you don't belong, I'm sorry. I know how that feels. I am so sorry. But that's not God. That's not him. That's not his heart to you. Jesus loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Will you continue to make mistakes? Yeah. But you know that. You know you can't do it on your own. I know I can't do it on my own. Every day I wake up and I get in my car, Lord, help me not cuss nobody out on this road today. Every day, Lord, help me be kind. When my husband gets on my nerves, help me be loving. Have a great day, honey. When my son calls me, he said, yo, Ma, what you doing on Thursday? Hello? No, I ain't watching your baby. You ain't put it on my calendar. Hi, honey, how are you? What can I do for you? It's a daily thing. And the more you take the step, the more you say, okay, God, today I'm gonna sell half of what I have and give my money to the poor. Just do that every day. The closer you get, salvation continues to come. And hear me, salvation comes. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, but our salvation, that working out our salvation, salvation that's a daily thing. And don't let anybody make you think you're just supposed to be perfect overnight. It don't work like that. If they tell you that, they lying. You tell them I said it. They lying. And so I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for those of us who may be struggling with judging other people and making them feel like they don't belong in the body of Christ. It's not our job to say that. It's our job to demonstrate a life followed by following Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change our hearts. 
It's the Holy Spirit's job to make those shifts. And so if you've been struggling with judging people, I want to pray. It's something I struggle with sometimes. I'll be honest. I'll be like, oh, you know better than that. Oh, yeah, well, I do too. Sorry. And I have to repent. And that's what the world needs to see. That we are a people who are broken and fallen and in need of a savior, just like everybody else. And he loves us and he loves them too. And if you're here and the church has hurt you, you struggle with coming because you don't know how they're going to see you, how they're going to receive you, what they're going to think about you. I've been called so much, so much, y'all. Y'all have no idea. I've been told I was too white for black folks. I've been told I was too black for white folks because of the way I worship. I've been at churches where they've been like, you don't dress nice enough to be on stage singing in front of people. I had a lady come to my house and tell me that. Y'all, I could sit here for days and tell y'all stories. The church is not a perfect place because people are not perfect. We are all broken. We are all fallen. And I had to realize that the people aren't God. And I don't want to miss God for people. God's got to do with people just like he's got to do with me. But it doesn't mean he's not who he says he is. And that's what Zacchaeus discovered, and that's what I want you all to know and believe. Follow Jesus, and the people who aren't following him well, pray for them. And love them anyway, and follow Jesus. So, Lord, hmm. thank you for meeting us. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for loving us where we are. Each and every one of us in this room tonight, we've got stuff. We've had people tell us that we don't qualify to be called a follower of Jesus. We've had people tell us that we've got to fix this first and change that first before we can follow Jesus, before we can feel like we belong. But God, In your gracious love, you say, not so. You demonstrated through this lesson that we saw tonight with this story about Zacchaeus that you see us exactly for who we are, flaws and all. You see us. And although people said you were a friend of sinners and tax collectors as if it were a derogatory thing, God, we realize tonight that that's us. We're the sinners. We're the tax collectors. We're the ones on the fringes. We're the ones who are broken and in need of a savior. So God, I'm so glad that you're a friend of mine and that you're a friend of my brothers and my sisters sitting in front of me, of my brothers and my sisters watching this. You're our friend and you have invited yourself into our lives. And Father, my prayer tonight is that just like Zacchaeus, we see your love for us and we respond and give our hearts fully and completely to you. So God, for those of us who have already placed our faith in you, God, help us to love people the way you love them. Help us to see them the way you see them. And help us to always remember that we are just as much in need of a savior as those who 
we see walking down the street. And Lord, help us to surrender and repent when we judge others harshly, forgetting that we are just as broken and just as much in need of a savior. And God, for those that are here that have been wrestling with this decision to trust you with their life, to give up their lives of fear and shame and to trust you, God, I pray, Lord God, that they would take that step tonight. And if that's you, God is here. He's here. Jesus has already died for it. He died for every sin you could ever commit, past, present, and future. And the Bible tells us, he teaches us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just like he told Zacchaeus and all those people around, today salvation has entered this house. All he wants you to do is recognize that he sees you and that he loves you and receive his invitation to come into your heart. And God, forgive us as a body of Christ for trying to take your spot for acting like God and trying to be the ruler and judge of all people. That's not our place, Lord. But help us to line up with your mission, which is to seek and to save those who are lost, to show people your love, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. So God, would you wash us tonight? Would you help us to see ourselves the way you do and receive your love and in turn see others the way that you see them. Every day, God, we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna mess up, but God, I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness to us and tomorrow is always fresh with no mistakes in it and I thank you for that, that none of us have to leave here feeling weighted down but that we can give that to you and walk out of these doors free so that we can lift high the reputation of the friend of sinners and tax collectors, of the friend of us, friend to the broken, friend to the lost, a friend and a savior to the world. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.